good to see you all today. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, as we continue in our series in Psalms. Psalm 19, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you. I'll be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Those red Bibles in front of you are the um, New International Versions. Uh, They're good Bibles nevertheless, just a little bit of a different translation. When I was, when I, uh, uh, 21 years ago, when I received Christ, the thing that struck me more than anything is how could the Jewish nation that had the scriptures, that had all the hundreds of prophecies of Jesus as the Messiah, how could they miss it? But then what struck me more than anything, and this hit me, how could I even have missed God? Here I was, lived all these years, and really didn't even acknowledge God. One time, when I was 21 years old, when my brother died, my older brother died, I cried out to God, but I think that was just not even knowing what I was doing. And the fact is, when you look at creation, when you look around, you realize God has revealed himself to us. See, I thought life was just about Growing up, going to school, getting a good job, maybe having a little fun, retiring, and then when you die, you die. And that was it. I had no acknowledgement of God. In fact, I had no need of God feeling like I have everything under control. And I read now like Psalm 14, 1, which says, you know, it's the fool in his heart, says in his heart, there is no God. And I was a fool. And when we say in our heart there is no God, we are fools. The fact is, God has revealed himself to us in so many ways, yet we reject his revelation. And when you look at Psalm 19, it is one of those high watermark psalms that speaks of God's revelation to us, first of all, through the sky and his creation, and secondly, through his scriptures. We're going to see, also going to see how he has revealed himself to his, through his son. But uh, you can write this down if you're taking notes. God's glory has been revealed to us through the sky, through the scriptures, and through his son. And in understanding that, all that is left for us to really even ponder, how should I respond? How should I respond to God's revelation to me and to this world? Let's look at this in three different ways. First of all, we're going to see revelation through our senses. And the first way is, what do we see? We see God revealed in the sky. God revealed in the sky. Look at verse 1. In fact, the... the, the, um, Prescription says to the choir master, a psalm of David. So it was David that wrote this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose word, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
God is revealed in the sky. Now there's a term for that. It's called general revelation. General revelation. This is God revealing himself to everyone. Now last week we talked about glory, what it is. We defined it. We talked about the fact that it is the greatness of God's essential nature. It's a word for splendor and honor and reputation. In fact, I looked up a, repu- uh, uh, a definition of it in the, in the New Unger's Bible Dictionary, a, a dictionary I've had almost since I first became a believer. And it says this. I'll put it on the screen. It says, God's glory is the manifestation of his divine attributes and perfection. It is the expression of his holiness. God's glory is the manifestation of his divine attributes and perfection. It is the expression of his holiness. And so verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So when you look up in the sky, when you look up in the heavens, God is revealing his glory to us. It says, in the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This is revelation that comes to everyone. Before Christ, God had revealed himself to me. I rejected it. It's amazing to even think about that we reject God's glory. In fact, notice the verbs in verse 1. Declare and proclaims. They're, they're, they're in the continuous tense. They're, they're participles. God continually declares his glory. God continually proclaims his handiwork. In fact, verse 2 says, day by day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You can't get away from God revealing his glory to us. Wherever you go, you just have to lift up your eyes and recognize that God is saying, here I am. In fact, that word pours out in verse 2. It's a picture of bubbling over or overflowing. I read this quote. It says, creation cannot contain itself. It, it constantly proclaims the glory of God. And we talked about how we were in southern Utah a couple weeks ago. It's like as we were driving up, it's like God is screaming his glory at us. God never stops proclaiming his glory. It's like a, a, a mom taking their young child. You know, moms, you, every once in a while, you want to get the attention of your young child. And it's so, okay, Jimmy, look at me. Jimmy, look at me. Look at me. That's kind of what God is saying to us. He's saying, look at me. I, I'm right here. I'm, I'm proclaiming my glory to you. Heaven can't help, creation can't help but declare to us the testimony about its creator. Look at verse 3 and 4. You see this paradox here. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, it says there are no words, but there are words. What? What's he saying there? That's a little odd. They seem like they contradict each other, but effectively they're saying the same thing. Let me just illustrate. In the 1860s, there was this this dust-up in the United States Senate. I know that kind of stuff doesn't happen today, but back in the 1860s it did. And 
and there was a battle on the floor of the Senate, and there was an, uh, a, a senator named Alexander Stevens, and he ultimately became the vice president of the Confederate States in, in 1861. But he was, he was chastised for speaking about another senator. He says this. He says, my opponent is not worthy to carry swill to swine. You all know what swill is? Let me just show you a picture of swill. It's like this food that's just left over, that's just been... That's what the prodigal son was, was, was feeding. So he says, he says, my opponent is not able to carry swill. To, he's, he's not worthy to, to carry swill to swine. Well, this caused all kinds of an uproar. How could you say something like that? There was a demand that he apologized, to which he says... I do apologize. The senator absolutely is fit to the duty to which I referred. The point is, one statement is a denial. The other one is an affirmation, yet they both make the same point. He didn't like this guy. And and when it says here, there are no words, but there are, are words, it's saying the same thing. Put it another way. Husbands, look at me for a minute. Can your wife say something to you without words? Do your head like this. It's like, it's like, can she tell you that she loves you with no words? For sure. Can she tell you that she's mad at you with no words? <laughs> but, but, but the fact is, can she, tell she, can she tell you she loves you with words? Can she tell you she loves you without words? For sure. That's what it's saying here. He says, he says, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. This is speaking about the glory of God that is revealed. Their voice goes out through all the world and their words to the end of the world. And then he, he gives this idea of the sun. He says, he says, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. He's talking about this sun that is in this tent. But have you ever seen a bridegroom ready for his bride? And like she, he's like ready, he's like he just can't can't contain him, and he's coming out of his he's coming out uh, towards his bride, and then he says, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. You you get somebody that's been training, and they just can't wait to go and compete. That's what this is saying. God's glory is such that it can't contain himself. It's like a bridegroom going towards its bride. It's like a, a strong man that's ready to compete. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And then this, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun that comes out, there is nothing that is hidden from its heat. This is saying God's glory, its general revelation, it's for everyone. You can't get away from it. So what we see is God's glory revealed in the sky. And I just look back and I realize, I had no excuse for rejecting God except for my focus on self. My consumption was self. Now, as we look at this psalm, there's a shift from God's world to God's word, from God's sky to God's scripture. There's a a definitive uh, switch. He goes from what we see to what we hear. And what do we hear? We hear scriptures. 
we hear God's word. God is revealed in the scriptures. This now is special revelation. We see this in verses 7 through 9. In fact, this is one of the most concise statements in the Bible describing God's word. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The the rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. This now speaks of God's word, its attributes, and its impact on those who read it, who embrace it. In fact, where general revelation reveals that there is a God, special revelation tells us how we can know God, how we can have a relationship with God. General revelation doesn't do that. Special revelation does. Through general revelation, we could just know that there is a God, but it's through the Scriptures. That is how we can know how to have a relationship with Him. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is right here is God's letter to us. It is written by God through men. 66 books written, written over 1,500 years on three different continents. 40 different authors, over, uh, and, and, and they all perfectly work together. They testify to Jesus, John 5.39 tells us. It speaks of the eternality of Scripture. But here we find how Scripture impacts the lives of those that embrace them. Now what you're going to see as we look at this, there's six parallel statements and in each one of those parallel statements, there's three, um, there's, there's three different uh, elements that are also parallel. So first of all, you get six descriptions of Scripture. Notice what it says, the law of the Lord. The, and then the second line, uh, the third line, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. So those are the synonyms for God's Word. And notice it says law of the Lord, precepts of the Lord. These aren't men's laws. These aren't men's scriptures. These are God's. But then you get six different descriptives or synonyms for scripture. You see the word perfect. You see the word sure. You see the word right, pure, clean, true. Six synonyms, excuse me, six adjectives for scripture. And then you have the six impacts. And so we want to look at each one of those individually. So let's look at the first impact of what God's word does in a believer's life. First of all, it revives your soul. It revives your soul. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That word perfect, it means complete, without blemish, without spot. It lacks nothing. The Bible is not deficient. It is sufficient for all the things that we need. And when it says it revives our soul, that word revive, it means to convert or to renew or to restore. It was January 11th, 1998, when I heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was in that moment that I was converted, that Pam was converted, both at the same time. 
It revives our dead souls. It's a picture of conversion. In fact, Proverbs 4.21 says this, My son, be attentive to my words, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all flesh. They, they, they give us life. They give us healing. These words, they revive your souls. Some of you have been believers for many years, but your soul needs to be revived You don't get that apart from spending time in God's Word. My prayer is just this psalm will give you a deeper desire to be in His Word. No matter the condition of your heart, the challenges that you've gone through or are going through, you can look to the law of the Lord to revive your heart. Secondly, it provides wisdom for the living. It provides wisdom, not just for the living, but for living, for life. Look what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The Scripture, it testifies to itself. It is a a testimony. That means to bear witness. And there is no greater witness to God than His Scriptures. And we know it's true because Titus 1 says that God cannot lie. It is sure, that word sure, it means certain, it means trusted or trustworthy, it means to be established. And and we see what it accomplishes here. Making wise the simple. I'm just a simple guy. But God's word has given me a lot of wisdom. God's word gives us a lot of wisdom. Wisdom for what? Wisdom for marriage. Wisdom for child training. Wisdom for work. Uh, Wisdom wisdom for relationships. Wisdom for trials. It's one of the reasons we're calling this men's Bible study wisdom for work. It's going to be a biblical study that help us be better at work, whether it be life balance, whether it be dealing with pride, humility, character, idolatry, coveting, or just even protecting our families. Our women's Bible study, we use the Word of God. Pam uses the Word of God to make you better at whatever she's teaching. It's wisdom for living. That's why we teach the Word of God here. And the fact is, it's all here. I'll never forget our old church in Dallas when they started a counseling center and they said, now we have something more than just the Bible to give people. That's a scary place to be. Now we get a lot of help, but see, if if you're not rooted in God's word, you missed God's wisdom for us, for for life. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says, (laughs) the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Proverbs 24, 3 says, by wisdom a house is built. Let me ask you, are you building your house on the word of God? It revives your soul. It provides wisdom for living. Third, it brings joy to your heart. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What are precepts? They're divine principles. They're, They're guidelines for character and conduct. And notice what he says, they're right. Now the definition is here not as opposed to being wrong, but it means they're straight as opposed to being crooked. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's what it means there. It is linked to the idea of righteousness. Now, uh, the great Charles Spurgeon, he saw these first three as progressive. Conversion leads to wisdom, leads to joy. Conversion. And if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Wisdom. Wisdom from God's word, which leads to joy. True joy. Joy deep down in the heart that comes when we, have, you know, when we are in a right relationship with God. And I'm telling you, if your relationship with God is not right, there is no joy. It is when you have an a, a intimate, vital relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a joy unspeakable. In fact, I love what Jeremiah 15, 16 says. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. Jeremiah, I mean, I don't know. I know we have some woe stories in here, and I'm not minimizing them. But you don't want to live the life that Jeremiah lived. That was a pretty rough life. Yet, God's word was a joy and a delight to his heart. Freedom in Christ brings joy. The fact is, biblical joy is a condition of the heart no matter your circumstances around you. We've all been through difficult circumstances. Some of you may right now be in difficult circumstances. Joy is not, biblical joy is not dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on a deep-seated relationship, a deep-seated understanding of God and your relationship with him. The fact is there's joy in knowing you're on the right, right path. How many of you, it's, it's hard to use this illustration actually in this age of GPS on our phones, but how many of you have ever been lost before? Whether it be driving, whether it be hiking, or whatever it is. Like, when, when you're lost, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. And if you have the family in the car, you know, if you're a guy driving, you keep it quiet as long as you can until all of a sudden your wife says, this doesn't seem right. Yeah, I know. And, and there's anxiety. But once you get back on the right path, all of a sudden there's like this joy. And that joy takes away the anxiety and the depression and the, and the angst, the fear, the doubt. Listen, God's word, it revives your soul. It provides wisdom for living. It brings joy to your heart. Right here, this is it. This has it for us. That's an amazing thing. What do we do with it? Fourth, it gives clarity to your sight. It gives clarity to your sight. Notice the second part of verse 8. It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment, the orders, the divine decrees. It's the idea of a commanding officer giving commands to his soldiers. And notice it says, his commands are pure. They're free from pollution. It is clear. It is lucid. It, it, the scripture, it, it means what it says, and it says what it means. You don't have to second-guess scripture. Scripture. 
They bring, they bring clarity, not confusion. They bring order, not disorder. God is not a God of disorder. We live in a world where there is so much disorder. Just turn on cable news. Yet God's word, his commandments give sight, give clarity to your sight. They're absolutely clear. There's no equivocation. There's no confusion. There's no wondering. It, it, it enlightens your eyes. It, it's the idea of, of causing the scales to fall off your eyes. It brings light where there's spiritual and moral darkness. Fifth, it produces stability for endurance. It produces stability in, for endurance. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, when he says the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is not one of the synonyms for Scripture. But when you have a right understanding of God and a reverential understanding of God through his Scriptures, there becomes a, an awesome fear of God in a good way. The more he has revealed to you, the more you should be in awe of him and have this healthy fear of God and worship him. And the idea is it's, it's clean. It's absence for, absent from impurity, absent from filth or defilement. It's, 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 it's clean. Eth, it's, it's ethically clean. Scriptures without error or corruption. Listen to what Psalm 12, 6 says. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. I used to think that the Bible was full of errors, but I'd never read it. Isn't that funny? Yeah, the Bible's just full of errors. I'm glad nobody ever said, well, show me one. That would have been a problem. It's God's word. It's clear. But it provides stability. It says, enduring forever. That's a picture of stability. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's permanent and unchanging. It is never antiquated. It is never outdated. It is sufficient for all seasons and for all ages. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and vain deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And that warning is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. Finally, I mean, it gives us revival, wisdom, joy, clarity, stability, and finally, direction. It directs us to right living. It directs us to right living. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When it speaks of the rules, I mean, think of the supreme court of the world and the supreme judge. The Bible is God's standard for judging all mankind for, for eternity. And the fact is they're true. They provide the standard for truth. Newsflash, truth is not relative. Truth is truth. 
John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, sanctify, sanctify them by your truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. You never have to question God's word. In fact, where do we see the first questioning of God's word? In Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? <laughs> and then it just spun out from there. But the fact is, it gives us direction for right living, living in a way that pleases God. This book that you hold in your hand, or that phone with the Bible app, hopefully you're looking at your Bible, think about what it provides. Think of the impact it has on you. It it revives your soul. It provides wisdom for life. We'll go back to that slide. I was using it. Yeah. It brings joy to your heart. It gives clarity to your sight. It produces stability for endurance. It directs you for right living. God has revealed himself through the sky, through the scripture, but also he's revealed himself through his son and in his son. Let me just put up a couple scriptures real quick. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That was where we got our scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. All things were given into Jesus' hands. He was the one that created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and after making purification for sins, what's that? That's his death on the cross and his resurrection. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of on high. God has revealed himself through his son. Listen to what John 1.14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. What did we need? We needed the revelation of God's son. Why? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. If God did not reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ, we would all perish. God has revealed himself through the sky. General revelation for everyone. God has revealed himself through the scriptures. That special revelation. We can know how to have a relationship with him. But then God revealed himself through his son so we could have a relationship with him. Which leads us to this. How should we respond? Glorify God with your life. How do you respond to God's revelation to you? Through the sky, through his scriptures, through his son. The fact is there is no middle ground. There's no fence sitting There's not, I'm kind of in, kind of out. You are or you aren't. Look at verse 12. 
Actually, let's start in verse 10. He speaks about the, the, the beauty of these scriptures. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. He says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. They keep us from sin. And in keeping them, there is great reward. But then he says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden fault. See, what he's saying now, he says, He's first praying that God would forgive him of his sins and deliver him from any additional sins. He says, who can discern your errors? Apart from your word, I can't. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? They're willful sins. They're deliberate sins. He says, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Then he prays that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is so overwhelmed with God's revelation through the sky, his revelation in the scriptures. And he didn't know it, but he was a a type of Jesus. But all he could do is just say, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. Here's the point. When you meditate on God's perfect, sure, right, pure, simple, clean scriptures, You are transformed from the inside out. Your soul is revived and you are given wisdom and joy and clarity and stability and righteousness. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our lives should be to the glory of God. When we truly comprehend what God has revealed to to us through his, His sky and through His scriptures and through His Son, It's like we should be on our knees saying, God, how can I glorify you today? Forgive me for making my life about me and not about you. So one last question. What do you do with this book? This is what I want to ask you just to get real honest with yourself. Is it your manual for life? Are you just a hearer of the word, yet not a doer of the word? Jesus had a lot to say on that, but I think he says it best in this one last passage I want to end with. And that's in Matthew chapter 7. If you turn there, Matthew chapter 7. And ask our worship team to come up. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Incredible message. And then he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What was special about that guy? He heard the word and he kept the word. He lived the word. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. I've said it before, that's like a drop the mic moment for Jesus. He just literally drops the mic and walks off the mount. What's he saying? Take these words of mine, listen to them, but now apply them, live them. These words give life. They're life-giving. They will revive your soul. They give you wisdom and joy and clarity and stability and righteousness. Father, I pray that in this, in this time we'd be reminded of how far we fall short. And Lord, for those who maybe have not been spending time in your word, Lord, I pray they would confess it to you and they would say, I want what this book can provide me. Father, I pray there would be no condemnation. Maybe a little conviction, but no condemnation. And I pray, Lord, that through that, there would be a desire to be in your word, to be challenged by your word, to be changed by your word, to be revived by your word. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.